Thank you, Wayne, as always, for the great prayers. Uh, Bill's out this week because he's been, he's been at a conference in Dallas where he's getting to uh, spend time with N.T. Wright. And if anyone in here knows who N.T. Wright is, which I don't expect all of you to because you're not all pastors, but uh, N.T. Wright just one of the probably the premier New Testament scholars of his time. And so Bill is completely geeking out down in, in Dallas right now. I mean, he, is, he is in his element. I told him to tell N.T. Wright that you know, he preached on Sunday and put up a picture of George Michael and see what N.T. Wright thought about that for all of you all who saw Bill's sermon on Sunday. But um, George Michael, I mean, I'm just sitting in the stands going, George Michael, I mean, that, that's where we're going. But anyway, so, so Bill's having a blast. I'm going to step in today and do a complete off the series lesson uh, on something that's just kind of been weighing on me. Uh, but I'm going to kick it off by saying... You guys all were around whenever I had a big bandage on my head. So uh, everyone remember, I don't know, or for those of you who saw, I had a little spot taken off my forehead. And whenever you walk around with a bandage on your forehead with 5,000 people in church on Sunday mornings, how many people do you think asked me about what was going on with my forehead? Any thoughts? Two, Two yeah. Yeah, about 4,836, you know, so I got a great opportunity every Sunday, both when the bandage was on and when the bandage was off, to explain to people why my head looked the way it does. Tell you the truth, people are still asking about my head, and one, I appreciate that everybody cares, you know, it's it's a nice thing to be loved, Uh, but I couldn't hide the fact that there was something wrong with my head, right, you had to have a discussion about it. Uh, and, and, and honestly, I got to tell everybody that I went to the dermatologist, dermatologist saw something, and I, I, I tended to have the same conversation over and over again, which was, well, it's really good you went to the doctor. I'm glad they saw it before it became something that, w- that got out of control. We got to have a good discussion about proactive health maintenance. And, and, and I normally came across looking like, you know what, good job you going to the dermatologist. We're so proud of you, Blake, for doing that. But you know what, I, I didn't go to the dermatologist until I absolutely had to as it related to something completely unrelated to this, right? It was by sheer luck that they saw anything that, you know, actually had any issues whatsoever. And it got me thinking a lot about the fact of the, that, that men probably, like if we were to look at, at why men die, right? I got to say that the underlying factor of the greatest reason that men die has to be stubbornness. Right, absolutely has to be stubbornness. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible example of this. I don't go to the doctor until, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, mean I am almost dying, right? I mean, I just don't go. And, I, I, my, I, and here's the thing. Whenever all of your doctors are also people who go to the church, I have a built-in accountability system here, right? My dentist is in Lance's class, and every time I go in there to sub for Lance, I have to look my dentist in the eye and explain to him why I haven't seen him in two and a half years, right? I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and I can't lie. I mean, I'm not allowed to do that. So, like, I, I just don't do it, though. Men are stubborn. We don't go to the uh, So often, we do not go to the doctor, right? We just don't do it. Why is that, right? Why do we not go to the doctor? Just, yeah, all right, there you go. First one. We are foolishly optimistic that it'll just go away. Gene, how long did it take you to go to the doctor for what you were dealing with right now? What, two and a half years maybe? It's, yeah, because he just grins and bears it, right? What, what's it, what other reasons we don't go to the doctor? Yeah. Fear of the unknown, Fear of the unknown right? We are afraid of what we're going to find out. Yeah, Gene? You're cheap, You're cheap right? 
Here, here's how I'd rephrase it a little bit. We're afraid of what it may cost us to learn information. Right. What else? What other reason why do we not go to the doctor? Yeah. Pride. Pride, right? I can handle this. I don't need anybody else telling me what's wrong with me. Yep. Yeah, it's not fun, right? Who's this guy to tell me? Right, go and make me wait in the waiting room for an hour. Then, then once you get out of the waiting room, you go to the room where you wait again, right, for another hour for them to come in and spend three minutes with you, right? So, so like, you know, it's like, what, what are they going to tell me, right? I don't trust these people. Any other reasons we don't go to the doctor? Yeah, just ignore it and everything will be fine, right? Yeah, let's forget about all those leading indicators telling us that there's probably something really wrong. Yep, RC, denial. <laughs> You're in denial. All these things, right? All these things. Some people just don't like doctors. Some people like just don't like the white coat. I know my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law's got this massive, beautiful beard, right? He's, he's a big outdoors guy. I mean, he's a huge guy, just a man's man type guy. But, but I swear, every time he goes and has to get a shot at the doctor, somebody has to go hold his hand, right? He's, he's just desperately afraid of needles. I've had to go to the doctor with him before, and we had to tell him we were going to get ice cream, right? I mean, he was a grown man, we told him we were going to get ice cream, and we took him to the doctor, and I had to stand in with there in case he passed out because I knew the nurse wouldn't be able to catch him. Right? So it's like some people just hate, hate, hate the doctor. So now here, let me flip it. Why do we finally then decide to go? Gene, why did you finally decide to go to the doctor? Yeah, sometimes good people in our life that we trust, right? Because you almost died, right? You almost died. It gets so bad, right? It gets so bad that it gets past your stubbornness, it gets past your pride, it gets past your fear, out of desperation and a realization that you finally hit a point of no return, you say, I'm going to go to the doctor, right? Sadly, that's kind of how, I expect if I had asked for a show of hands, that's probably how a lot of us have finally made the decision to go to the doctor, desperation, it's gotten horrible, it's gotten out of hand. Now, the gospel stories, I promise this will eventually go to a place, in the gospel stories, you see story after story after story of people who are suffering from such physical health issues that they are so desperate that they cannot have solved that what do they do? They're so desperate, what do these people do trying to get healed? And then they hear about this man, right? They hear about this man who other people have told them he's from this area of Galilee, right? He's, I mean, and, and when people hear that you're from Galilee, you're from, from this area, right? It's like us saying that you're from the sticks, right? If you're, you're the redneck doctor coming in. But, but this man, by his words and by his touch, right, he can heal you. He can cast out demons. It doesn't matter what you have. We've heard of lepers that have been healed. We've heard of blind people that have sight. Right? We've heard of little girls who have come back. We've heard of all these things he's done. And so all these people in their moments of desperation, they rush him. Right? Time after time in the, in the Bible where you see stories where Jesus is having to get away or where the crowds are caving in, it's not normally because he's saying something. It's because he's been healing people. 
Right? Mark 1, I'm just going to kind of go through. Mark 1, he cleanses the leper, and he tells the leper not to tell anyone. What does the leper do? Tells everybody. Right? Which leads to Mark 2, he goes to Capernaum, and people have heard about him. They begin to crowd around him. And all the people have this, they have this experience where these friends have a friend who's a paralytic. And what do they do out of desperation? They get their friend to the doctor, right? They go up to the roof, they cut out the roof, they get the friend down, right? And they, but they do it, they have to do it that way because there are so many people, right, who are all trying to be healed by Jesus. Later on in Mark 2, he goes into the synagogue and he heals the man with the withered hand. And then after that, people came from all over and it said that Jesus healed many and all who had diseases pressed around him for, them, for him to touch them. Right, in Mark 5, I'm going to read a quick little passage in Mark 5, uh, verse 24 to 34. It's the text of the woman who touched Jesus through the crowd to heal her bleeding. Let me just read this real quick. Uh, it says, And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And listen to what he says to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I just want you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of this woman for a little bit. Her disease was visible, right? Everybody could see what she was struggling with. Right? Everybody knew what was happening. This was like, I mean, everybody could see that I had a bandage on my head. I couldn't hide it. Right? This woman, everybody knew what she was struggling with. It had to be devastating. She had to be desperate. And then Jesus says, go in peace because I can make you well. We see this time and time again in the, in the Bible. And as I was reading this and thinking about this concept... One observation I had is that if our sin, if our sin was as visible to everyone sitting in this room, if it was as visible as that bandage was on my forehead, or as the bleeding was on this woman, if our sin, that, that condition of us was as visible as those physical ailments were, we wouldn't be able to hide it, right? And if we couldn't hide it, would we necessarily be so stubborn to think that we could handle it ourselves, right? Whenever you are sick, whenever something's your, something ails you, whenever you feel like, you know, you've got this pain in your stomach or you've got this pain in your back or you've got a sore throat, whatever it may be, it's so easy to hide those things and stubbornly believe that we can take care of it ourselves and we have the same concept of our sin, right? We just let it be. We stubbornly believe, I have control of this, I can handle it. So I say that, I want you to keep that in mind, because I want you to know that that condition we have of our sin internally is not okay, right? It is something that is eating at us, 
right? It is a cancer that is within us that is eating us from the inside out, and we cannot handle it, right? We can't. But Jesus says, I am a physician who can cure you. If you ever want to know the good news, right, if you ever want to know the good news of Jesus Christ in the most concise form possible, right, I want you to, I want you, every one of you can, if you have your Bibles out, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 and 15, and if you have a pen and you don't think it's heresy to write in your Bibles, I want you to write the gospel in two verses right next to these verses. Just say, this is the gospel in two verses. Let me read it to you. It says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house... He saw his, meaning Peter, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. We read it again. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve serve him. There's two parts of this gospel message. Part one is she was lying sick with fever, right? She is sick. He touched her, he being Jesus, and the fever left her. That's part one. Part two is the action that occurs on the back end. She rose and began to serve, right? So let me hit part one first, and we're going to come back to part two. Part one, I want you to imagine sin a little bit differently than than how we traditionally think and talk about sin in church, right? We, we, um, we come from a tradition, the Reformed tradition, the, the Protestant church, where we have had fantastic theologians who have helped us understand sin. And especially you go back to Luther and you go to Calvin in particular, Calvin who was a lawyer, we understand sin as very personal. We understand it in terms of the fact that it is a debt that cannot be paid, that the, the blood of Christ, our faith in, blo- in the blood of Christ, our faith in Jesus justifies us of our sin. And we almost think of sin as a pardon, like we are, sitting, we are sitting in front of a judge trying to determine our fate, and by his grace through our faith we are pardoned, right? We are made right with God. We are justified in the sight of God. We almost have this legal concept of what sin is, what it means, and how we are forgiven, how we are made right with God. And all of that is true. All of that is right. There's nothing incorrect about that whatsoever. But what I also want you to think about is that in addition to the legal justification, the legal aspect of what we're thinking about being right with God, we need to understand that Jesus does something else in our lives as it relates to sin. Jesus is telling us our sin is a sickness, It is a sickness that you are bearing, right? And he is the physician and the only physician who can make you well. The good news of the gospel is that you can be made well, right? You can be well. Not only are you pardoned, not only are you justified in the sight of God, you are sick and you are being made well. I know that that, that crosses over, right? But it's an additional frame I want you to think about as we go through the lesson. So remember, remember the text. He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. I want you to, to just for a moment at your tables, what observations do you have from the first part of this verse? 
So he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Dissect this just a little bit. What sticks out in that passage about God and what sticks out in that passage about man? Right? Answer those two questions. What do you learn about God? What do you learn about man in just that little first part of this passage? Take a few minutes and we'll come back. Yeah. Well done. Well said. We come back to the main group here. Hey, so, so what did um, the one primary observation, I need to make sure everybody gets on this. Who had the power here, right? Who had the power to be made well? Was it the woman? No. If you learn anything in this class, man has, does not have the power to make yourself well. Jesus is the one. He touches her. He has the power, right? That's the major aspect you have to get in the first part of, of, of this message, who has the power. Now, you see, this, you see this play out in other stories in the gospel, and I'm going to take you, we're going to do this little parallel. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 5, and I want to read you a quick story as, as you're getting there. I'm going to start in verse 9. Um, actually, I say that. Hold on. I'm going to... Yep, my bad, my bad. I'm, I'm going to John 5, and I'm going to start in verse 1. So it says, after, there, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One, mar- one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, get up, take up your bed, and walk. I don't know if anyone's seen The Chosen yet, but I think The Chosen does an awesome job with this story. Uh, so just, you know, my, my personal little plug for the chosen, if you get a chance, but they do a really, really good job showing how this could have played out. But I sit there and I hear this, this question Jesus asked in this, in this passage, do you actually want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? This guy had been there for 38 years. So just a quick context on this, 38 years. What do you think the average life expectancy was around this time frame? Around 40 years, Right. This guy has been there pretty much the average life expectancy of people of that time, right? So the do you want to be healed is an interesting question. Why do you think Jesus asked that question? You just feel free to yell out thoughts, yeah? Um, I, I think we get comfortable in our own disappointments. Yeah, he may be comfortable in, the, in whatever he's dealing with. Even in your sickness, you can be comfortable in it. It's what you know. Why else? Any other thoughts? That's a good one. Yeah, he could have given up a long, long time ago, right? Nothing's going to change. I've been like this forever. I'm always going to be like this, right? There's no way I can be changed. Yep. Do you, yeah, asking him, do you actually want to be healed? Do you believe I can heal you, right? Do you believe yeah, this pool, this pool is not the place that a good Jewish boy hung out, right? This was a pagan place, right? This was, this was angels, not related to... There was all kinds of different cultic thoughts on, on this pool. 
And so this was which power are you going to trust, right? Are you going to continue to trust in this world that continues to let you down or in this person, right? This person who is saying, I can heal you, right? Yep, I, I think you're right. I mean, so you, uh, you guys are all kind of revolving around the same concept here, right? And, and you, you really think about this. Do you want to be healed? When you think about, think about our day-to-day lives, right? Whenever we actually ask ourselves, should I really go to the doctor, right? Do I really want to go to the doctor? All those answers we had a minute ago about why we don't go to the doctor apply right here as well. Yeah, so th- I mean, think about this. Think about, think about the, yeah, the denial of man. The, I mean, honestly, put, put, it, put whatever your last physical ailment is in your head right now, right? Whatever your last physical ailment it is. Well, no, hold on. I, I mean, here, here, use mine right here. Well, hey, I, I use sunscreen. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been using sunscreen. It's like, well, I'll get to the doctor eventually. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, oh, it's fine. It's just a spot. It'll be fine, right? All these reasons, right, that we, we actually, no, no, I'm asking you a different question. Do you want to be well? Hey, do you actually want to be well? Hey, we're getting asked that question all the time. The very first part of the gospel, right, there has to be a recognition from us to say, I realize that I am sick, and I don't have the power to heal myself, and I desire to be well. Right? If you never get to that point, right, if you never get to that point, you've never actually understood the gospel. You've never understood the good news. Because in your stubbornness, in my stubbornness, I've been here, right? In my stubbornness, I actually think I'm fine. Hey, I've been going to church, right? I got this. I did my thing, right? But, but until you realize, until you realize it's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick. And this is why, like, this is why you see God move in places of despair so well, right? You go to the prisons, and it's just, you can see God moving, right? You go to celebrate recovery. You go, you go to people who are just dealing with addictions, who have actually recognized that they're dealing with addiction, right? And you see God move. Why? Why is God moving there? Because they know. They know they're sick. They, they've given up the facade that they're okay. Right? They've actually hit bottom and said, something's wrong. I need to go to the doctor. Right? I need to go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Which the other moral of the story is, it's not in the notes, but normally women are the ones to get us to finally to listen to God, right? So, uh, but, uh, but, you have, to, you have to actually have this recognition. I'm sick. I am not well. I cannot save myself. Right? Put the spiritual hat on that. I am a sinful, fallen creature. I cannot save myself. But God says he will save me. Right? Until you believe that. Until you believe it. You can't pass go. Right? You can't go on. Right? You have to get to that point. And, and I want, and I think, especially in America, in the West, our stubbornness, our pride, name whatever excuse it is, keeps us from getting to that point so often. It is not weakness to admit that we are weak, right? It is not weakness to admit that we are sick. It's not weakness to admit that we can't do it on our own. It's wisdom, right? That is wisdom, that is knowledge that is true being applied to our lives. But the whole pull up by your bootstrap, do it on your own mentality, which is a bunch of lies anyway, right? It's, 
It's, it is not weakness, right, for you to say, I am sick and I need to go to the doctor. Right? Absolutely not. Part two of this message. Let me, I'm going to go back and read the passage in Matthew 8 again. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. That's all part one. Part two, and... I'm learning grammar again from Jean. Conjunction, right? It's a conjunction. And she rose and began to serve him. Part two, she rose and began to serve him. What pops out there? Actually, talk about your tables just for a couple minutes and we'll come back. Don't, we'll go on with this. Talk to your tables. What's your observation from that part two of the message? We'll come back. All right, well, let me bring us back here. I just want to make sure we don't run out of time today. Any quick observations from that? She rose and began to serve him. Quick observations? Call out? I'm never going to forget your dishwasher illustration you just did. You guys on Zoom missed out. Uh, yeah. You got to, you got, it, it has to be plugged into the power source, right? Yep. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, okay, I'm about to lose the class. Terry, save me here. Do you have something? Let me read, I'm going to read, um, I'm gonna, let me go, let's go back to our text in John 5. I want to read you the rest of the story from, from the man at the pool. Right, so John 5, that has a part 1 and a part 2 also. I'm going to start in verse 9, then I'm going to jump to verse 14. But verse 9, it says, And at once the man was healed, the man who had taken up, who, had, who Jesus said, Get up and take up your mat. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Then fast forward to verse 14. It said, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. All right, so there's an action this man takes here. Jesus tells him to get up and walk, and what does he do? He gets up and he walks, right? Now pay attention. He had been laying there for 38 years by this pool. 38 years he'd been laying there. He gets up and he walks. He was healed. Where does he go? He went to the temple. What was happening at the temple? Worship. Yeah. If you're going to go and give thanks to God Almighty for what just happened to you, you're going to the temple. He immediately rose and he went to serve. He went to worship. He went to go find the place where he could be about God's business. Right? And now Jesus says, this is kind of a quick off to the side, but Jesus, when he finds him there, what does Jesus tell him? Hey, you've been made well. Now, don't sin, right? So that nothing worse may happen to you. This guy had been laying by a pool for 38 years, a complete invalid, and he goes, don't sin because that condition is worse than what I just healed you from, right? You have been made well, so don't go act like you're still sick, right? You have been made well and you have done right. You have been made well and you got up and you immediately went to serve. Jesus is capable of making us well, 
right? He tells us that over and over again. He tells us you're not capable of saving yourselves. I am. But when you are made well, are you going to get up off your mat and go about the Lord's business, right? Whose business are you going to be about? Your business or his business, right? This man was made well, and he went to the temple, right? He went to the temple. I hear Jesus, when I think about this story over and over again, I, 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 you almost hear Jesus say, do you want to be healed, right? Do you want to be healed? And I got this picture in my head as I was reading this about Jesus actually taking his hand and telling this guy to get up and helping him up to stand on his two feet. And it's not in the Bible, right? So I'm, I'm seeing this in my head. He, he helps him up so he can stand on his two feet for the first time. And if you think about it, whenever, whenever Jesus takes your hand to pull you up, is it possible for you to actually stay on that mat? Right? If you're actually taking Jesus by the hand and saying, I'm going to follow you, and you have him by the hand, it is impossible for you to stay on the mat. Right? You have to get up. You have to get up. You have to follow. You have to serve. Right? It is the evidence of the faith that you have. It is the evidence of the healing that you have in Christ, that you actually see yourself get off your mat and go and serve him. Right? Works does not save you. Him going and doing good works, him going to the temple is not what saved him. But it is a fantastic piece of evidence to say that that man is healed. Right? That man is healed. I think about this today, and if you, if, if there's probably two pieces of application today. Part one of this story is, the application for this story is, if the burden of sin is weighing heavy in your life right now, Right? If you're listening to this message and you're convicted of the fact that you are sick and you have never actually asked to be made well right, because of stubbornness or pride or ego or denial or whatever it may be, name the list, we've all had it. Right? If you have never been made well, this is the opportunity to be made well. Jesus is asking you through his word, through a body of believers right now to say, do you want to be well? Right? You just have to respond. Yes, Lord, make me well. Take me by the hand. Get me up off this darn mat that I've been on for 38 years. Right? Make me well. Now, part two of this is, are you going to get up and serve him? Right? If you've been made well, are you going to follow the example? Or are we going to obey? Right? Get up and serve him. And, and I want, probably, what, what I'd ask you all to do, because I think almost everyone in this room is in part two boat here, right? You know you've been made well, but you may have gotten complacent over time and gone back and sat down on that mat, right? Sat down and, and actually living a life like you were next to the pool. Living a life like you were when you were still feverish, sick in bed, right? Because it's comfortable, it's what you knew, and you kind of went back and sat down, and Jesus said, no, 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 I told you to get up. Told you to get up and walk. So what I, what I want you guys to do, this is, this is my conviction, I'll explain a little bit. I want you to start stretching your legs. I need you to start stretching your legs and start walking. And the reason I need you to start stretching your legs and walking is because this is the passage that came to my mind as I was, as I was preparing this text. There's this beautiful passage in the book of Jeremiah. Whenever God is asking Jeremiah to do something tough, right, really, really tough, and Jeremiah doesn't feel like he's ready for it. And God says this to Jeremiah. He says, if you have raced with men on foot 
and they have wearied you, meaning they've made you tired. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? God's telling Jeremiah, I'm getting ready to make you start running races against horses, right? And you're saying you're tired because you're running against men on foot, right? So I'm telling you here, I want you all to start stretching your legs and get used to walking and jogging and running because I actually have a conviction that God's going to ask a number of you to run with horses. And I mean that. And I'll tell you what's on my mind, and, and I ask for a bit of confidence on this one. It probably doesn't help that I'm recording it. We'll edit this out. But I've been utterly convicted for months now about a specific just ministry problem statement, right? Uh, there's something in my mind that has just not been able to get out of my mind that I feel like just fundamentally has to be addressed here at our church. And I've been praying about it, thinking about it, praying about it, thinking about it. Finally, finally, went and talked to people who could help me because I'm a stubborn man, right? Went and talked to people who could help me about it. Got their ideas, their thoughts. They felt a similar conviction. And so last week, and I'm telling you this because I trust you, not because I'm bragging, because the Bible actually tells me not to tell you about this, right? But last week, I fasted for three days. I didn't eat for three days so that I could pray about this. And what I was praying about over those three days was, God, who are the men that you want me to ask to help me here? Tell me the men. None of your names popped up. No, I've got it. When I asked God to reveal me the men that needed to go run with horses, I didn't get anything in the three days of fasting But the morning of the fourth morning, as I sat quietly with God on my back porch reading his word and praying, you came to mind. You came to mind. So here's what I'm just going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you all about it or anything like this. But I need you to start stretching your legs. I need you to start learning to walk faster and jog and run. Because... There's going to be some of you from time to time I'm going to tap on the shoulder and I'm going to tell you what I mean when I'm going to ask you to run with horses. And I want you to be ready. Bill said last week, right, he, he talked about the parable of, the, of the, the thrower, right? The seat, what's it called? The parable of the, uh, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Uh, the sower, the sower, thank you. The parable of the sower. I promise I'm a pastor and I know my Bible. Uh, Parable is so. I'm an OU guy. Yeah, it's 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 only so much we can do, right? It's, it's exactly. Where did the soil? Where where did the seed take root and grow and not die, right? In the fertile soil. In the fertile soil, right? Same concept here. Start stretching your legs. Start getting used to things. Build fertile soil so that when the seed comes, it can grow, right? Things you can be doing: pray, read, fast right? Have accountability. Do the disciplines, right? Start stretching those legs, right? Start doing that. I just, I I truly feel like God is going to ask a lot of us, of us, for his kingdom, for his glory, and for our joy. And I would just ask you to be praying about that and get your legs stretched and warmed up. Sound good? Makes sense? All right, let me pray for us. Father, i I, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to give this lesson. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you knew that we were all sick. You didn't have to come and touch us, but you have. 
We were feverish. We were invalids laying on a mat. And by your power, by your grace, you have made us well. Help us now to get off the mat, to go and be about your business, not just because it's what we ought to do. It's because you are wiring us so that that is what we want to do. Your will is now our will. Your thoughts are now our thoughts. Your desires are our desires. And in the midst of all of this, we get great joy by going to the temple, by serving you. Let us have that joy. Prepare us, O Lord, that we can go and be about your work. Prepare us, O Lord. Stretch our legs. Let us be ready to run, not by our power, but by yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you all.